6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 33 through 36. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So did he in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, even in Naphtali, with their mattocks round about. Now, I want you to notice Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and uh, Naphtali. Are these part of the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom? Northern kingdom. And obviously, you're talking geographically, not tribally. That's where everybody gets messed up. The, 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 this whole idea of the ten lost tribes is a myth, and I want you to be sensitive as you go through the Scripture that again and again that demonstrates that is a myth and uh, leads to a lot of confusion. But in any case, uh, Josiah here is cleaning house throughout the whole land, including up north, Manasseh and Ephraim, Naphtali, that's all up north. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. And uh, now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So the temple's a mess. These guys are dispatched to clean house, fix that up, repair it. And when they came to Hel Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and of all the remnant of Israel and of all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. I want you to notice that all these tribes, Manasseh, Ephraim, and so forth, the so-called lost tribes, and certainly weren't lost in that day, uh, they were actually sending money for the repair of the temple. And incidental to our thing, but I want you to be sensitive to that as we go. And they put it in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen that brought the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house, even to the artificers, the builders gave they it, to buy hewn stone and timber for couplings, and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. Okay, the men did the work faithfully, and the overseas of them were uh, Jehath and Obadiah, the Levites, and the sons of Merari, and Zechariah and Meshullam, the sons of the Kohathites, to set it, for, yeah, set it forward, and the other of the Levites, all that could, skill of instruments of music. Also they were over the bearers of burdens, and were overseers of all that wrought the work in any manner of service, and of the Levites, there were scribes and officers and porters. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. This is a very interesting statement. It's pivotal. It changes the history of Israel. See, when they, they, they went in the house, they're doing repairs, they're remodeling, and the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Scholars suspect that this may be referring to the, an original copy by Moses himself. And apparently it was so venerated that it was put in a special chest 
and hidden because all the copies of the Torah had been destroyed by Manasseh. He was trying to wipe out Judaism. And so he, wiped, he, he took all the Torah things to, and had them destroyed. They thought they were all gone under Manasseh and under Ammon. But as they're repairing the temple, they find a chest hidden some way, and in it they find the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. This implies an original copy. It certainly was a very specially venerated copy. And Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord. And they have delivered it into the hand of the overseers and to the hand of the workmen. Then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the law, he rent his clothes, he tore his clothes. He was so moved, he was so shocked to realize by reading the word of God that how far they'd fallen. And the, 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 the young king was obviously deeply distressed. And the king commanded Hilkiah and Hikam, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan, the scribe, and Isaiah, the servant of the kings, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. This dramatized the king how far they'd fallen, and he's concerned not just for himself, but the, all the people, the whole people, all that are left in Israel and Judah. And uh, so, so Hilkiah and they that the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess. Now that's, most commentators just pass over this. Okay, they went to the prophetess to find out what the prophetess had word from the Lord. This raises some questions if you're a diligent student. Why does the high priest, on behalf of the king, have to go to a prophetess that tells you the Ark of the Covenant is not around. The, 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 it's not, the, 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 the Levitical system is not in place somehow. That's usually where, that's where you know, Moses went to the, ask the Lord himself. When the tabernacle there, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the high priest would communicate, be, communicate directly. That's obviously not operating here. That's going to be important to us later as we reflect on some of this, but let's go on. Anyway, hold of the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son of Turkveth, the, uh, the son of Hazra, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they spoke to her to that effect. And she answered them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Wow, okay. Tell ye the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place. He had previously pronounced that. In the days of, because of Manasseh, because there was blood from border to border, God pronounced a judgment that was coming. And here she's confirming that. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be poured out upon this place and shall not be quenched. And as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, so shall ye say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel concerning the words which thou hast heard. 
because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God. When thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. Behold, I will gather thee to thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered to thy grave in peace. Neither shall thine eyes see all the evil that I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants of the same. And so they brought the king word again. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. What God is saying, the judgment is coming because they deserve it. But because this king, this young king, Josiah, has had his heart in the right place, it won't come in his lifetime. He's going to have years of peace. It's after he dies that God will Bring the judgment. That's what he's saying. Then the king sent and gathered unto all, gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord. And all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the men, great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. Praise God for that. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. Now this could be Exodus 20, as some people feel it is, Exodus 20 through 23. Some of them feel it was, he was reading all of Deuteronomy. They generally assume he didn't read the whole Torah, but uh, he certainly read the relevant parts here that, that are here alluded to. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did, according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations out of all the countries that pertained to the children of Israel, and made all that were present in Israel to serve, even to serve the Lord their God. And all his days they departed not from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. That is a great report card. That kid did pretty well. But now we get into chapter 35. It's the next to the last chapter of the book of Second Chronicles. And it'll read straight forward. It'll tell you a story. But I want you to be careful with the details because it's my suspicion that it hints at some major, major mysteries that we're going to explore in the subsequent session. Second Chronicles 35, verse 1, More, Moreover, Josiah kept a Passover unto the Lord in Jerusalem, and they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month which is a, obviously the, the, the traditional day. And he set the priests in their charges and encouraged them to the service of the house of the Lord. And he said unto the Levites that taught all Israel, which were holy unto the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, did build. It shall not be a burden upon your shoulders. Serve now the Lord your God and his people Israel. This little verse, verse 3, is overlooked, in my mind, by virtually every commentator I've looked at. What, what um, the king is telling the Levites to do is to bring the ark into the house, the temple, which Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, did build. That means the ark was not in the temple. Okay. It shall not be a burden upon your shoulders. That means it's in transit somewhere. And it's a, a matter of speculation as to where it might be, but I'll come to that. 
Serve now the Lord your God and his people Israel. They apparently are not serving the people Israel. So the Levites have the ark somewhere outside the country. Now, this is the command the king gives the, king gives the Levites. And virtually every commentary I've looked at presumes that's what the Levites did. It doesn't say they did. And I'm beginning personally to suspect that this leads to a whole other thing that we'll get into subsequently. But I just want to let you do it while we're here. Put the holy ark. Put, uh, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, had built. It shall not be a burden upon your shoulders. Serve now the Lord your God and His people Israel. Okay. It doesn't say they complied. They apparently had taken the ark and the mercy seat. You know that's something else. We tend to presume that the mercy seat and the ark are the same thing. No, there are two elements. The mercy seat happens to be on top of the ark, and obviously they're often spoken of together for that reason. They obviously, what they probably did is during these horrible days of Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, who ruled for 55 years and tried to wipe out all forms of what we would call Mosaic Judaism. So to protect the Ark of the Covenant from his ravages, he apparently went through the temple, destroyed it, burned the Torah. The Levites took the Ark of the Covenant out of there, out of his jurisdiction, out of the temple, out of the Jerusalem, out of the country. I'm going to show you why we suspect they fled under the protection of Pharaoh Necho in Egypt. But let's move on here. Verse 4. He continued to instruct the Levites, Prepare yourselves by the houses of your fathers after your courses, according to the writing of the king, uh, David the king of Israel, and according to the writing of Solomon the son. And stand in the holy place according to the divisions of the families of the fathers of your brethren, the people, and after the division of the families of the Levites. So kill the Passover, sanctify yourselves, prepare your brethren, that they may do according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And Josiah gave to the people of the flock, the lambs and kids, all for the Passover offerings for all that were present, to the number of 30,000 and 3,000 bullocks. These were of the king's substance. So these are in effect out of his pocket in a sense. And his princes gave willingly unto the people, to the priests and to the Levites. Nakiah and Zechariah and Jehiel, the rulers of the house of God, gave unto the priests for the Passover offerings 2,600 small cattle and 300 oxen. So they gave generously. Coniah also, and Shemaiah, and Nethaniel, his brethren, and Hashabiah, and Jael, and Jezebed, chief of the Levites, gave unto the Levites for Passover offerings 5,000 small cattle and 500 oxen. So the service was prepared, and the priests stood in their place, and the Levites in their courses according to the king's commandment. And they killed the Passover, and the priests sprinkled the blood from their hands, and the Levites flayed them, and they removed the burnt offerings that they might give according to the divisions of the families of the people to offer unto the Lord, as it is written in the book of Moses, and uh, so did they with the oxen. And they roasted the Passover with fire according to the ordinance, but the other holy offerings saw they in pots and in cauldrons and in pans and divided them speedily among all the people. And afterward, they made ready for themselves and for the priests, because the priests of the sons of Aaron were busied in the, burning, uh, the offering of burnt offerings and uh, the fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests, uh, uh, sons of Aaron. And the singers of the sons of Asaph were in their place, according to the commandment of David and Asaph and Heman and Jedithan, the king's seer, and the porters waited at every gate. 
that they might not depart from their service for their brethren, the Levites, prepared for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared the same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings upon the altar of the Lord according to the commandment of the King Josiah and the children of Israel that were present kept the Passover at that time and the feast of unleavened bread seven days. So Passover technically is that one day, long days, feast of unleavened bread that goes on for seven days. And those seven days include, depending on the calendar, the Sunday in there, the morning after Shabbat, after Passover, is the Feast of First Fruits. So those are all generally, those three feasts, the three spring feasts of Israel are lumped together, often called Passover connotatively. But in any case, there it is. And so there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel for the days of Samuel the prophet. That's quite a statement. There was no Passover like, there was no Passover like to that kept in, the day, in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover Josiah kept. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept. Big deal. Okay. And after all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, the king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemus by Euphrates. And Josiah went out against him. Now let's back up a second here. Sudden change of subject here. We finished with the Passover thing. In about 609 B.C., Assyria, the, the empire that had ruled for so many centuries, became weak and lost a lot of her empire, especially a city to the south called Babylon. In a few years, that city, will, under uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he had a son that was a very sharp general, a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And he becomes very, very effective. And he's able to not only free Babylon from Assyria, but in effect to become the dominant empire in a matter of a few years. So that's all starting here. So Assyria is showing some weakness. It's fragmentation. Okay. Nineveh itself uh, fell in, in uh, about three years earlier. Uh, so Assyria is in trouble in a sense. The capital Nineveh had fallen in about 612. And so they concentrated their, their forces around Haran and Karshemish in the upper Euphrates. Now, this attack by Pharaoh Necho against Assyria is understandable. He's, he's getting strong in power. Assyria's starting to crumble. He's going there to strengthen himself. That makes sense. But why is Josiah going out against Pharaoh Necho? Assyria is the traditional enemy of Israel. You would think that the enemy of your enemy is your friend. You would think that if he's going to do anything, he would be helping, helping Pharaoh Necho go against the Assyria. That's what he's doing. He, uh, he's going against Pharaoh Necho. And this puzzles Pharaoh Necho, as you'll see in a minute. One of the questions you have to ask yourself, why is Josiah going against Pharaoh Necho? There's a very obvious answer that everybody misses. But in any case, at this point, it's an enigma. So verse 21, so Necho says, for, he sent ambassadors to him. That's Pharaoh Necho sending ambassadors to Josiah, to Josiah. He sent ambassadors to him saying, what have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. Get this now. For God commanded me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God who is with me, that he destroy thee not. Wow, Pharaoh Necho is telling Josiah, what are you doing? I'm doing what God told me to do. That's Pharaoh Necho's claim. You might say, well, that may be just an empty boast of his. No, the next verse is going to underscore something. 
Notice what the friend is saying. He said, For God commanded me to make haste to forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. That's what Necho is telling Josiah. You got the picture? The more you study it, it's really strange. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him, and hearken not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God. Those are words of the chronicler. That's not a quote of Necho here. This is an, a comment by the chronicler. Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he might fight with him. And he hearkened not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God, and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. How on earth would Pharaoh Necho hear instructions from the mouth of God? Any guesses? From the Ark of the Covenant. Right on. We'll get to that. The archer shot at King Zoziah, and the king said to his servants, Have me away, for I am sore wounded. Okay. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died. And he was buried in one of the sepulchres of his fathers, and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. So Josiah's death is a tragic, tragic national, uh, it's a national tragedy. And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah, and all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah their lamentations to this day, and made them an ordinance in Israel, and behold, they are written in the lamentations. By the way, it's not, that's probably not the book of lamentations by Jeremiah, but an equivalent uh, uh, product on this area. Now the acts of Josiah and his goodness, according to that which was written in the law of the Lord, his deeds, first and last, behold, they are all written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Okay. I'm going to leave that for now. We're going to go to the final chapter of what happens after Josiah dies as far as the, uh, the southern kingdom is concerned. And that will finish Chronicles. But I've, I've saved a session to go back and unravel this mystery that I think will uh, fascinate you as we get into it. So let's just table Josiah and Necho for the moment and finish the, the chronicle uh, uh, rendering here. So we're in chapter 36, the final days. We're going to go from Josiah and take a quick look at four kings, the final four rascals that, get, that bring the dynasty, uh, in a sense, to, in a, it takes it right up to the Babylonian captivity. Chapter 36, verse 1, Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in his father's stead in Jerusalem. Josiah had at least four sons, who, and three of which became kings of Judah. And the first of these was not the oldest, incidentally, but was Jehoahaz, and he's a, he was an appointee by the people, really, after Josiah's death. And he remained in power for only three months, for reasons that aren't given, and uh, Necho dethroned him. He's strong enough that Necho's calling the shots here, and Pharaoh Necho dethroned him, levied on Judah a tax of 100 talents of silver and a talent of, of gold, as you'll see here. Jehoiaz was 20 and 3 years old when he began to reign. He reigned three months in Jerusalem. The king of Egypt put him down at Jerusalem, condemned the land in 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. So that's uh, 33 tons of silver and about uh, you know, 75 pounds of, of gold. That's a lot of gold, even you know, especially today. But in any case, uh, the king of Egypt made Eliakim his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem and turned his name into Jehoiakim. So he, the king renames him, if you will. Shows you the power he had over all this. 
And Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and carried him to Egypt. And Jehoiakim was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, bound him with feathers to carry him to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar also carried the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Actually, at a museum right across the, the uh, processional way. This is the, uh, the uh, deportation that probably took Daniel to Babylon. Um, Daniel and his three friends were taken captive. Um, so the Lord used Nebuchadnezzar to be his instrument here of, of judgment, if you will. And uh, so the, uh, there's obviously a lot more drama here. And we need to get into detail here. But this is the first siege. Nebuchadnezzar had driven Egyptians out of Palestine by about 605 B.C. And that's when Daniel and his friends were deported. Jehoiakim had at first been loyal to Nebuchadnezzar, but after three years he rebelled. And about 602. That's in all 2 Kings 24. The chronicler, but not 2 Kings, reports that Jehoiakim was then bound with bronze shackles and taken to Babylon along with the sacred objects of the temple. So... Uh, this was the first of three sieges. The first siege starts the servitude of the nation. The third siege will be starts the desolations of Jerusalem. Both of these are 70 years long, but they're not coterminous. They're all 70 years exactly to the day, strangely. The, sea, the servitude of the nation starts with the first siege of Nebuchadnezzar, and it's concluded by the conquest of Babylon by Cyrus the Persian. And uh, the third siege of Nebuchadnezzar starts the desolations of Jerusalem, and it is terminated by the decree of Artaxerxes Longimanus, which is the trigger for Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. So if you're studying prophecy precisely, uh, that's all worth getting into. I won't try to get into it all here. I was tempted to, but it'll take a hard time to develop all that. Uh, just tie, I just encourage you to tie that to your study of, uh, uh, your study of uh, Daniel, if you will. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of 2 Chronicles. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music